This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 115, Do the Right Thing, Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with caveman Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, what is new in your world, my friend? Uh, I am a little bit embarrassed to say not mm-hmm. a whole lot new. I have been uh, extremely busy at work. You, you usually and... have so many good things to tell us about all the I know, things you've I know. watched I'm... and everything. I'm a little disappointed. Actually, the only thing that I can uh, can throw out there is uh, a little bit off the beaten path for us, but uh, I've been reading quite a bit lately, and I'm a big fan of the author Jeffrey Archer. And he put out a new book the first week of September. I got it for my birthday, and I read it in one day. It was great. It was called – oh, my God. It was – I'm blanking on the title. I'll think of it. Uh, it was great. It, and um, yeah, that's really the only sort of pop culture thing I've been doing. Uh, I, I really haven't had a chance to watch much TV. I really haven't had a chance to watch any new movies. Uh, the Toronto Film Festival came and went. They didn't have a chance to see any of the movies there. So I, I have to settle for uh, uh, the program guide from TIFF 2019 so that I can go back and read about all the movies that I didn't get a chance to see and add them to my watch list. Well, that's okay. Hey, listen, if anyone wants to reach uh, Derek on Twitter, you'll find him at Amaron underscore DM and you'll find me at C. McBrien and of course popgoesyourworld.com is our website and uh, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you download the show there and listen to it. A couple things for me I wanted to mention pop culture wise believe it or not. Uh, there's a local Canadian TV station called CHCH TV and I know you're familiar with it. Uh, Derek, it comes out of Hamilton, Ontario. Absolutely. And During the day they run classic old classic TV shows. I watch it. I have it on in the background every Wednesday when I'm working at home. Oh, they sure do. And one of the shows that they, the, the classic shows that they show is Happy Days. And because remember before I told you the story when I went to Ottawa, when uh, my wife and I went on our trip. And of course, as soon as we got there and checked into our hotel room, I watched Happy Days and I got in trouble. But uh, and apparently Happy Days is now they've started over again from the beginning. So they went back to season one, episode one and started playing it again. But the thing is, is that I didn't like the first episode or the first season, even the first two seasons of Happy Days, because if 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 you go back and watch it, and, and I'm sure that you're going to at some point, uh, <laughs> um, the first season was it, it, it's different. It's not the same. It's 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 shot on film. It's not shot on 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 video cameras. It's shot all shot on film, and it's and it's not even really a sitcom. It's almost it's what it is is it's trying to be a, a television version of American Graffiti. That's what it's trying to be. In this first season. I mean, Fonzie. Well, isn't that how they pitched the show in the first place? Oh, exactly. I mean, you think about it, I mean, with some of the actors that are in it, I mean, they were in American Graffiti, right? So um, I just, I don't know. I just didn't really like it that much. I just wasn't like, so I, I liked it better once it kind of got going. You know, when it came, and like, even if you watch the opening credits now, it's got the the old uh, Rock Around the Clock song for the theme. And um, Fonzie's not even in, in the opening credits. And you know how much I love Fonzie. So I do indeed. Yes. You know, so that's not a good thing. But anyway, I just, I wanted to mention, oh, because I think it was my mom. My mom sends me an email. Oh, Chris, happy days is starting over from the beginning again. This is the, the, the this is the messages I get from my mother. It's so wonderful. Nice. Um, well, yeah. Chris, I have to admit, I've never seen American Graffiti. 
Oh my goodness. Well, maybe that'll be a movie I'll have to nominate at some point and have you watch. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's George Lucas's second film, if you count uh, THX. Uh, THX 1138. Yep. Yeah, as his first, right? Because he released that theatrically. Um, but it's it's pretty good. Pretty darn good. It's definitely uh, different. It's definitely groundbreaking. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but another thing I want to mention is, my friend, we are actually going to be getting together face-to-face in like two days' time for three of my favorite things in the whole wide world. Nachos, beer, and trivia. Not necessarily in that order either. Um, so I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it because the last time that you and I got together, um, you were actually here in studio with me when we did our 100th episode. And Absolutely. That, that was great because we did kind of did the show face-to-face together, which was awesome. But um, anyway, I'm really looking forward to seeing you. So maybe next well, episode we'll have to talk all about and, and Chris, our shenanigans. Maybe Chris, maybe you should share with our listeners why we're getting together. It is indeed a very special occasion. It is. It is a Saturday. So we are getting together because it's a, just it's a Saturday. So that's why. And uh, it is yeah. Chris's birthday. Oh, yeah. Woo! yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, and we're going to be celebrating yours, too, because yours was recently as well. So I'll, we'll definitely, we'll raise a glass of cheer for both of our birthdays. All right, for sure. that sounds fair. That sounds and have fair. some nachos and trivia. So it's all going to be good. Absolutely. All right, let's get started. Hold on, I got, I got to open a beer. I got to have a beer. Say, I need to take a big swig of mine. Too. <laughs> let's have a drink because this is going to be a lot of fun. Almost like a pirate radio guy during the war. Like- <laughs> I just go back and watch Meatballs and Stripes and Spokey the Bandit and all those shows that I love. Instead of playing a bar, they should have played like a minor league hockey arena. Yeah, he's a young man. Drive me crazy with this stuff. And that wasn't cool. Long duck dong. For those of you who have not been keeping count, I have. Jaws, Star Wars, and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my three favorite movies of all time. Holiday. Rap. Yes, we're going to ring reggaeton for a holy day. Okay, so this week uh, it was my turn to nominate a film, so I went all the way back to 1989, Sound of the Funky Drummer. And uh, I went with the Do the Right Thing, uh, Spike Lee's, or one of his early movies. It wasn't his first, first movie he did. It basically, gave man, you had never seen this movie. And you, like me, one of the things, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, one of the things that kind of brought you and I together as friends 25 years ago when we first met was the fact that we were both such film buffs and we just instantly became friends because everyone else that that was where we were friends with at the time were all into sports and we were too but they were all into like fantasy sports and that's what kind of brought us together and then you and I were kind of like well you're a movie buff I'm like I'm a movie buff too like wow and then we just kind of became even you know better friends as a result but that being said, all these years later, um, you and I get talking about movies that we've seen, we haven't seen, and this was one that you had never seen. And as a movie buff, I've always liked it. We're going to get into it tonight for a lot of reasons why I like it as a movie buff. I've always, this movie's always stuck out to me. And uh, you mentioned that you had never seen it. Um, so I nominated it for the podcast. I had you go, you know, go and watch it for the first time ever. Um, so do you want to uh, start us off and give us some first impressions of the film or just, just kind of set things up in the, in the sense that you'd never seen this and you, what, you, what your impression was of it going in? Maybe did you have any preconceived notions? What did you heard about the movie? And then just kind of let me know your first impressions. All right. So uh, you're absolutely correct. I had never seen this before. I knew of the movie. Uh, being a, a student of film when I went to university, I took a lot of movie courses. So uh, I had heard of it. I'd read a little bit about it. I've seen some of the the clips on various shows when you watch like, here's a history of the movies from the 80s or here's a show about influential movies. You, you see certain parts or you 
you see interviews with the performers or in this case, the director or the writer, you know, you get that kind of thing. Uh, and obviously I understood that it was very culturally significant in addition to being a, a good technical movie. Uh, and it had a very, a very special place in the hearts of a lot of people. Uh, it was very influential. It launched the careers of many actors who went on to to do a lot of great things and some many of them still working to this day and still doing great things many of them so i i you know when i went to watch this last week i knew all of this uh i knew a little bit about it i sort of knew the broad strokes of this is what it's about but i i'd like to think that i came to it pretty pretty fresh in the sense that um having never sat through it uh i, I really didn't know what was going to happen next and I, I mean, that's always the, the case with a movie you've never seen before. But I, I felt that I sort of brought a little bit of baggage to this coming into it. So I was kind of worried that certain things might be like, oh, this must be the part when this is going to happen next. But I, I knew little enough that 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 was I didn't feel that was uh, uh, an issue. So before I really go on, I just want to say that I, I know I knew when I watched this movie after I finished watching this movie, I knew we were going to talk about it. And I knew that um I was going to potentially talk about things and share my opinion and, and it might not land very well for a lot of reasons. Uh, so being a white guy who grew up in a well-to-do household and, you know, never suffer, suffered racial injustice or prejudice or anything like that as, as a privileged white guy, I think a lot of the things I'm going to say about this movie may come off and make me sound like a douche. And that is certainly not my intent. Um, but I, I'm going to try to position my various critiques and comments in, in a very balanced and leveled way, but I, I can only relate to it from my background. So I apologize if I if I really sound like I'm, you know, speaking from the white privilege mountain. That's that's not where I want to come from. But the reality is, as a white male, there's only so much I can I can say about this in a way that's that's going to sound genuine. So that being said. I didn't like the movie. Okay. That's fair. Um, I found, okay. So this is not a movie. I think that everybody's going to like, it's no, just not, it's just not. It's, it's not to say that I don't see why it's important. It's not to say that I, I, I didn't like it's technical merit or anything of that nature. I thought the performances was, were great. I thought the way the movie was shot was great. Uh, you know, I, I, I felt that the characters were very well developed and the performances were outstanding. Like there's a lot to like about this movie on a technical level from an entertainment level. I, that's what I didn't like about it. I thought it was slow. I felt it was a little boring. The fact that it's just one day in the life of these people on this street that live in this community and their, their comings and goings and everybody knows everybody. It just the the setup wasn't something that that genuinely interested me, but understanding the message of what the movie is trying to say, uh, I got it. I mean, I understood it, and I certainly it opened my eyes as I'm watching the movie to go be going, oh well, okay, this is where this is going, and this character is a representation of X Y Z whatever. Um, but I just felt that the the, the sort of the conflict at the heart, like the conflict at the heart of the story, the race relations uh, in New York in 1989 in Brooklyn, uh, you know, I I, under, I can understand why these things happened, um, or, you know, as they played out in the course of the story. 
but all I kept thinking from from coming at it from my background is emotions are running high in this movie. Things start to happen and people have an emotional response and in many cases an extreme emotional response. And that's not to say that the emotional response isn't warranted, but actions happen and decisions are made that I had a hard time understanding why they were being made. And I think largely it's because I'm not the people being represented. I'm not a black man in 1989's New York in Brooklyn. I keep saying New York is Brooklyn uh, that, that has lived a life where they've had racial inequality, racial injustice. A prejudice and these kinds of things, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm ashamed or otherwise, I've never experienced that personally. So I had a real hard time putting myself in their shoes. I mean, I want to, I try to, I, I like to think that I'm a very open-minded and level person. I'd like to think that I'm not a racist or a bigot or any of those things. So it's not that I couldn't relate from that point of view. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I had a, a real hard time understanding why certain things were happening and why certain actions were taken. And I've, I, since we've watched the movie, I've gone back and I've read some stuff about it. And, and I, I actually, there was a couple of, uh, because the movie is celebrating its 30th anniversary. Yeah. There's been a lot in mainstream media that's covered this in the last few, few months. Um, so I've listened to a couple of podcasts and I've watched a couple of documentaries. So I have since learned a little more about the, the goings on, at the time when the movie was written, directed, and made, and how culturally significant it was at the time. And, and so now I'm sort of getting that. Now that I've seen the movie and I'm reading these things, I understand that. But I don't know. I just – I felt – I felt the character – all the characters in the movie lacked respect for each other. That was the word the guy kept thinking, respect. It's two characters would bump into each other and suddenly there'd be an argument. And I'm thinking to myself, Why? Why are you arguing? Where is this hostility coming from? Why is there no respect between these characters, especially two strangers? And it, like I'm thinking the one scene where the guy steps on his sneaker and then he gets bent out of shape. And yes, it's a white guy steps on the sneaker of the black guy. And there's this yelling and, and this confrontation. And, and I'm wondering to myself, why are they acting like this? I, I may, Maybe it's because I haven't – I don't know. Maybe it's just – I don't see this as often anymore and I'd like to think that's a good thing because we've evolved as a culture and there's there's less of it at least where we live here in Toronto it's a very multicultural melting pot I've always grown up and and lived and worked and been educated around you know the people of the rainbow all the colors and shapes and sizes and sexual orientations and religion you know I I just I don't necessarily understand why some of these characters jumped went from 0 to 60 in a second over things that just seem to be an extreme slight and nobody uh, really seemed to respect each other. Um, anyway, those are Chris, those jump in here and say, because I know there's a lot of people listening going, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Well, I've never listened to this podcast again. Well, no, I, I, hopefully they don't. But here's the thing. So, so you're mentioning like, why are they acting this way? Well, I think we're going to get into that. And I think it's very, it's a good question. And I think it's done deliberately. Now, just to, to go, and we'll come and we'll come back to that. I'm going to touch base on it. But to answer your question or to, to to address your point that you mentioned about, hey, well, I grew up here, you know, in Canada and, you know, we all get along for the most part. And, and, you know, we don't have a melting pot here. Everybody is encouraged to, you know, be their own their own self and, 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 and embrace their own culture and that sort of thing. And so but that's the thing is that this doesn't take place in Canada. This takes place in the United States. The United States is incredibly different than Canada is for a lot of reasons. Um, and so we're going to get into all that stuff. But I'd like to start 
right at the beginning of the movie. Because to me, this movie packs a punch from beginning to end. The whole movie packs a punch. And we get it right from the opening credits because you got Rosie Perez doing the uh, the choreography uh, to fight the power by Public Enemy. And the she's she's dancing and you know she's do, she's doing a really good job and when and she turns at one point she's dressed in like she's got like boxing shorts and boxing gloves on and she turns at one point and starts punching toward the camera and to me that's just so it's just so great because it's just like this movie is going to punch you this movie is hits hard and and it's so you know right from the beginning and i think you touched base on another thing where you said the movie is very stylistic i think the movie has a lot of style to it very stylistic from a directing perspective. And like even even just little things, and we'll touch base on it throughout the podcast tonight. The way the camera pans back and forth between characters rather than edit cuts between the actors, I think is 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 really, really cool. And just as I'm thinking about it now, another thing that sort of stylistically in this movie that always jumped out at me, the scene when um uh, when uh, when the when the door of Sal's pizza place remember when Mookie goes outside to try try to talk to bugging out you know and, and he's, he's trying to calm him down because the guy's upset because there's no black people on the wall right yeah so Mookie goes outside to talk and and so the door closes and then the it's almost as if to say that's a private conversation they're having out there and the camera goes through the glass of the door and it continues right out to the sidewalk where the conversation takes place and you're able to hear the conversation. And then when they're done, the camera then pulls back inside the building and goes back inside with Sal and his sons. Cause they don't hear it. It's just very stylistic. Oh, and bugging out, by the way, I should mention, um, uh, that's the guy that, you know, that wants, like I said, he wants the brothers on the wall, right? Um, nice millennial connection here because that actor also played the drug kingpin in breaking bad. He was Gustavo Fring. Yep. Remember Gus Fring. Uh, yeah, from uh, Los Pollos Armanos, the brother's chicken. Uh, but anyway, so he was bugging out. And uh, um, it's easy to miss. It's the same actor because the two roles are so different, right? <laughs> because bugging out's like this manic guy and Fring is so like low key. He's almost stoic, right? Um, but anyway, so so going back to, to to what you were saying before about like, why are they so angry and all this is going on? It's because there's a recurring theme that goes on here. And and the thing is, you got to think about this, like minorities in this movie should be focusing on the things that they have in common, but instead they fight amongst themselves and they focus on their differences. The whole movie keeps coming back to this theme of us versus them. Yeah, so for sure. Even the scene you mentioned where John Savage is, um, scuffs the guy's shoe, right? And he's going to his home with his bike and they all kind of gang up on him. The whole scene is played as black versus white. And then he says, well, I, I was born in Brooklyn. They all throw their hands up. They're like, yeah, you know, like, 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 like what's most important to everyone in that scene is the color of their skin, not where they come from. Right. Like, yeah. so, so there's always this, this, this thing, it's, it's us versus them. And, and you know, we're going to get into that a lot more, I'm sure. But I think, so that's to answer your question. Why are they so angry? Well, they're angry, first of all, because it's the hottest day of the year. And and it and it's it takes place on the hottest day of the year because that's a whole metaphor for just things are heating up. The tensions are heating up, you know? And also the other theme is everyone's mad at each other because it's it's us it's human nature to try and put people into silos and to try and categorize people. And instead of trying to find the similarities that we have with each other, you know, we tend to just focus on the differences. And this movie really examines that, I think it, you know, in in, in a big way. So I think yeah. the um, it's it's also it jumps out to me the scene where the cops drive by. Remember the three old men on the sidewalk 
They're always sitting there yes. and they're talking about like their sexual exploits and all this. And, and and when the cops drive by them, it's all done in slow motion. Right. And the whole thing is, that whole scene is so powerful because it's played for that whole us versus them theme. Because it's 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 the cops versus the three black guys on the sidewalk. And then the second the cops drive around the corner, the first thing that happens is the three men focus on the Koreans across the street. Why do the Koreans have their own business? Why do they have a business that we don't? Well, it must be because we're black. You know, and the one guy says, oh, I'm going to open up a business. And the other guy's like, you're never going to open a business. You don't do anything. You know, it's the inactivity that's the reason that he doesn't start up his own business, not because of his race, but it's just funny how it's just us versus them, us versus them, us versus them. The scene where the young people are making fun of the mayor because of his age and the fact that he drinks. Yeah. Again, it's it's all about their differences. Like in this case, age is their difference, right? Instead of the commonalities. Like it's just a recurring theme, scene after scene after scene after scene. So I think that's why there's so much... Uh, Anger between everybody because that's the that's the theme of the movie is it's us versus them and then also the fact that it's on the hottest day of the year. Yeah, and I mean I, I certainly got that. I just I don't know. In my mind, I just kept thinking like, is this is this necessary? I mean, for the for for art's sake, for a story's sake, yes, you have this in there to create these conflicts, which eventually lead towards this giant you know uh, explosion, metaphorical and physical, literal explosion at the end of the movie. Um, but yeah, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just thinking to myself, like, okay, the kids are are you know making fun of the old guy, and it's like again, it's this this question of respect. Like, where's the respect? And that's not to say like uh, even uh, oh I I'm going to uh, um, like worship you, and I think you're the greatest. Like I'm not not like the way you would potentially respect someone as as a bet as your better, but even just the benefit of the doubt of. Maybe, you know, and now it's clear these characters all knew each other, but would there not have been a time or why wasn't there a time when there was at least a neutral, neutral ground? And so that that's why I had a hard time sort of trying to figure out that was sort of gnawing in the back of my mind when I'm watching this is like, why do these conversations and and, and confrontations have to be so hostile with everybody? So like we'll talk like the, the scene you had mentioned earlier where Bugging Out says like, why are there no brothers on the wall? And and again, the, the response from Sal is, it's my place. I'm going to put up the people on the wall that I want to put on the wall. You want someone on the wall? You make your own pizza place. You do whatever you want. Again, I get that these these characters, you know, they speak in a certain way. They act in a certain way. They're, they're, you know, there's a reputation to uphold, if you will. But again, there's a way to have that conversation where it's less confrontational. And, and again, as it started to escalate, it's like, why is this escalating so much so quickly? Uh, again, I understand that – that um, you know the the why from a, from a storytelling point of view. This is the way to to drive the story forward. I get that, uh, and it's not to say that his his question is is uh, is is um, inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Like it's a it's a good question. You know, if yeah, he's it's an Italian guy who has this Italian pizzeria and he's been there. You got to think twenty years or more, um, and he puts up people on the wall that look like him, the famous uh, Italian Americans, performers, and athletes, and whoever else is on the wall. I get that. I get that he wants it to reflect him, but it's a very good question. You're in a neighborhood that is predominantly black neighborhood. The people coming in every single day into your store to buy your goods and to put money in your pocket are, are black customers. Why not have the, what what they look like represented on the wall? And even ask him like. Who, who who would you want on the wall, right? Later on, they have that conversation. Like even later, he asked them, like, who's your favorite basketball player? Who's your favorite musician? Who's your favorite actor? You know, sure. Uh, 
you know, it, it's a perfectly legitimate request. It's a perfectly legitimate question on its face. But the way he chooses to ask the question and the way Sal chooses to respond, largely because of the way the question was asked. It's like, where is the respect? Where is the courtesy? Where is the politeness? And there's none of that. And there's none of that, though, Derek. There's none of that because that's the state of race relations in 1989 in America. It's not one of respect. It's about jumping to conclusions, right? It's about us versus them. It's about not giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. There's no respect in the, in yeah. the state of race relations in 1989. There's none. And so I well, think I, it's, it's indicative yeah. of that. I think that's where it is. I liked when you mentioned when uh, when Pino, he asked Pino, Mookie asked Pino, who, who's your favorite, you know, singer? Or who's your favorite basketball player? They're all black. And Pino's yeah. response is, well, they're famous people. Like the famous people aren't really black. You're like, you know, there's a, there's a powerful conversation that's going on there. And people's interpretations of what those really race relations are like back then, you know? Yeah, I guess. And again, this is where, I, you know, I come off completely sounding like an idiot it's like well as a white guy of course you think that you've never experienced this and that's the honest truth i've never experienced it i you know i'm coming to this i'm watching this movie and i guess part of what i had to remember that maybe i wasn't remembering when i was watching it is the movie's 30 years old Mm -hmm. it's making a statement about how things were at the time it was made in the late 80s in brooklyn it's making a statement it made a powerful statement and and again after going back and reading more about it and 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 um, you know, just all of the controversy surrounding it when it came out and there was all sorts of, you know, various bad press written about it for various reasons. You know, I, I'm learning more about it and I'm learning more about its its place in history, its place as an important film. And excuse me, I knew some of that already coming into it, but I guess I'm watching it with the lens of 2019 and that certainly skews the way I'm going to watch it. Um, how, how, it, how so? How does it skew? I'm very curious to know. How does how does looking at this movie through the lens of t- 2019 skew your view of it? I think that's a, that's a, I think that's an interesting thing. I think just because um, I I personally would would be more surprised to see these kinds of confrontations if the movie is set where I live today. And I mean, that that's my world experience. That's how I, when I go to a movie, I can only bring to the movie my personal experience. I can I can be sympathetic, empathetic. I can I can envision and understand uh, how others may may view this movie differently than I do. But when I'm watching this, uh, that, that's sort of where I'm coming from. I'm like, if this was made today, if this movie talked about today, would these characters act the same way in these situations? Would they? Would they have this same anger and hostility? And they very well might. I would argue that but they that, would. That I would argue that they would. That's my experience. Yeah. But again, again, we, uh, we're coming from a different place. We're here in Canada, right? Yeah. And not to say Canada is perfect. It certainly is not, you know, but we're coming from a different worldview. And that's one of the best things about going to the movies because you get to see different worldviews, right? In different places. Yeah, my, my wife at the end, you know, at the end of the film, you know, which we'll get to in a, in a bit and talk about that, the, the climax of the film. But in the scene at the end when Radio Arheim is killed by the police, my wife turns to me and says, nothing has changed since 1989. And I thought, she's right. <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, she is right. 30 years on, what's changed? Really, nothing. And to answer your question, like, what would this movie look like if it was made today? Probably pretty much the same, <laughs> I think. That's my take on it anyway. But that's the cool thing with this movie is is it's, the whole movie is up for interpretation. 
The whole movie is up for interpretation. That that being said, um, have you ever? Because I mean, you're more the you know the millennial kind of guy. You're more watch you know later stuff than me. Have you had you seen any other Spike Lee films coming into this? Because you hadn't seen this before you watched it uh, this week. Had you ever seen any other Spike Lee films? Uh, I've seen a few. I saw Inside Man and I saw Black Klansman earlier okay. this year. All right. Um, I think that might almost be it. I have to honestly, I'd have to look back through Spike Lee's IMDb, but I, I'd be surprised. Maybe one or two others, but uh, but I mean, no, I don't think so. That might be it. Yeah. See, I, I watched Black Klansman earlier this year, and, and and I was actually struck by it because I thought it lacked a lot of style. I thought it was pretty good. I thought uh, some of the performances were good. I thought the lead actor, I didn't really like his performance. I thought Adam Driver was really, really good in that. Um, but I thought overall the movie, because I'm coming from a different place, I'd watch Do the Right Thing, which is very stylistic. Um, whereas Black Klansman wasn't very stylistic. And that's fine. Every one of his films doesn't have to be stylistic. I'm not saying that. But it just kind of struck me. Um, the other thing that I'm, now that I'm just thinking about when we talk about style, that just an amazing, amazing scene that just speaks to what we're talking about in terms of lack of respect and confrontation between the races is, and also like how stylistic it is, is when the camera zooms in on the different characters one at a time and they each spew off a bunch of racial slurs against particular ethnic groups. Yeah. Like just powerful, powerful. And then it ends with Samuel L. Jackson yelling, cut that out. You know, like, it's just, I don't know, the, the movie, it, it makes a lot of statements. But the, I think the thing I like about the movie is it doesn't tell you what to think. It just makes statement after statement after statement, and it's up for interpretation. And like I say, I think it really comes together in the climax, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, another thing that's just in my mind is when we talk about the style of the movie, there's there's a chalk drawing on the ground. On, on the street and a girl is drawing a little little girl is drawing it it's like kind of like the ideal neighborhood you know with the house and the picket fence and Mookie walks across it and kind of yeah. smears it just ever so slightly right and then later yeah. in the film he walks over it again and it smears more and it's just like he's again it's stylistic it's like he's stepping on the whole concept of the American dream you know for the people in his neighborhood anyway it's not something they could ever achieve it's just very metaphorical I don't know mm -hmm. God I, I just think this movie is so good and I understand because my, I watch it with my wife and she's like, this movie's boring. Movie's boring. Don't like it. Well, and I think I, I did. When I watched it, I, I think I texted you halfway through it. I'm like, this is so boring. You did. And, and, and you that's said, the, like, I'm surprised that's your response. Keep watching. And I'm yeah. like, I, I will. But yeah, no, I, I I thought it was boring. And and that struck me too, because that is one thing you and I kind of keep our cards close to our chest when it comes to this podcast. We usually don't tip each other off. I know nothing when we come into to doing one of these reviews. I don't know if you're going to like it or not like it. It's, it's I don't know. And that was the one time when you had tipped me off because you. I remember you texted me and said, this is boring. I'm like, well, just keep watching. Just stay with it, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, Spike Lee, like I was saying, like, I don't know if you'd seen any of his other movies, but like he's obviously a big radio or a big, uh, he's a big uh, movie fan because the Radio Rahim scene. Remember the hate and love scene? It's yes. an, It's an homage to Night of the Hunter. With Robert Mitchum. Because in that movie, Robert Mitchum's got love and hate written on his knuckles. But it's basically the exact same scene. And I think like Tarantino, Spike Lee's just a huge movie buff. And so he has no problem like paying homage to movies and scenes from movies that he thinks are important. And he does so in that scene with Radio Ahim where he's talking about hate and love. And they fight each other and the two sides fight and then love wins. You know? Well, and I had read something where that was... Uh 
either a metaphor or sort of a direct homage to the various uh, teachings of Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King Jr., yep. how it was the whole love and hate. And I mean that – I assumed that was the case as I was watching the movie. Um, but I, again, after it was over, I felt that – I'm like – I watched it and went – I don't think I got everything out of this. I'm supposed to be getting out of this. So I made a point of doing a little homework after it. And so, Good. yeah, when I was reading, that was that was some of the that was some of what I had read was that seeing the love and hate. And this is this is how it's been interpreted. And this is where it's pulled from. And so, I, I mean, I'm, I'd like to say that I, I, I sort of got most of that during the course of the film. But uh, it was uh, it was certainly confirmed after the fact. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned a little bit the other big movie point. Um, the plot point is is around the, the temperature. You know, like it's the hottest day of the year. And, and the temperature is really just a catalyst for a lot of what transpires in the film. Like, and, and it's funny how the characters are also depicted as hot and they're getting hotter and hotter. Like Danny Aiello's shirt is soaked, right? And Radio Hey, remember, he comes in, he's just covered in sweat. And the temperature just, just increases the tensions throughout the movie and in every scene. Um, but there's, there's a scene, too, that jumps out at me when um, Samuel L. Jackson reads out a list of some of the artists that they play on the radio station. Yeah. And it's just this super long list. It's like 60 artists or something. And you realize it's just meant to put into perspective how many influential black artists there have been in music history. Like that's what Spike Lee's trying to make that statement, right? So again, um, so the scene, a a couple of things I want to talk about is Danny Aiello. I think Danny Aiello was fantastic in this movie. Um, The scene when Pino is talking to, to Sal and he, and he wonders, why don't we just close this place and open it up in our own neighborhood? And Ayala is like, why do you have so much anger in you? He's like, I've never had trouble with these people. They grew up on my food. I'm very proud of that. Remember? And then Pino goes outside and starts berating the, um, the mentally challenged character. I want to say his name is Smiley. I think it is. And he just starts lacing into him, but his dad doesn't do anything. He doesn't try to use it as a lesson. He doesn't stop him. He just sits there kind of helplessly, it seems. Oh, Danny Aiello's character was incredible. A a career-defining performance for him. But Pino goes outside yelling at Smiley, and instead of confronting his son about it, he goes out and gives Smiley some money. You know, like, the scene is heartbreaking. Like, he has no control over his son. And then his relationship with Jade, like, wowzers, right? Remember, he makes her that special sandwich, yeah. And then the camera pans across Pino and Mookie, and they are not impressed, right? And again, it's just another layer of Aiello's character that he's, he basically swings from protagonist to antagonist within seconds, scene to scene. It's, and that's a tough thing for an actor to do, you know, to pull off. But uh, when we'll come back and we'll talk about him a bit when we talk about the climactic scene. I just, I just thought Danny Aiello was fantastic in this movie. I have a question for you regarding the title of the film. Sure. Why, why do you think it's do the right thing? Like the only no idea. the only person in the movie that ever does the right thing really is the mayor. Remember, he brings flowers to mother sister and he saves the kid from the car that's racing down the street. Other than him, nobody really does the right thing. Like, I just think well, it's he, an interesting title. I was going to say, and he's the character that actually uses the phrase in the movie. He says, you know, do the, he's the only one who actually says do the right thing as part of a scene. Right. Uh, I, again, I was I was doing some homework on that, and there's various interpretations as to what it means. And uh, one of the things uh, that they were saying is it's from a famous speech. It's part of a this and that. again. I honestly I don't remember the specifics, but um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was like my interpretation of it. Not going into any of the readings, uh, sort of the more literal meaning of do the right thing was 
was more of um, let your moral compass guide you, right? Like be blind to some of these other things and and do what you know is right in your heart. And and you see some of that playing out with some of the characters, but not not very much. And I almost got the sense that the title was more like a juxtaposed opposite kind of ironic title where it was like do the right thing yet none of the characters actually do the right thing it, from a certain perspective right i mean from their perspective they're doing what they think is right at the time but it, again i i had such a hard time sympathizing with a lot of these characters i i just kept thinking to myself i you know yes they're in a situation that's in many cases a tough situation to be in but they don't do themselves any favors a lot of times they just compound problems by doing by by making bad choices and again uh, it was hard for me to to wrap my head around why certain choices were made at certain times it just even with the heat uh, the heat on and emotions running high and all the rest of that i just kept thinking to myself well why would you do that like doing some of these things clearly was going to escalate to make things worse why 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 and and it kept bringing me back to that idea of respect like where's the respect for this this person why are you pushing their buttons. What do you gain by doing this other than a punch in the nose? And, and constantly the characters are just on each other and just, you know, again, I'll say it, pushing the buttons. And I, I just had a really hard time understanding why. I guess maybe that's just maybe the message of the film is that, you know, you just can't really do the right thing or doing the right thing is really, really hard. Definitely. I certainly give you that one. Yeah. Doing the, like do the right thing is the message. And here's a movie f with 25 characters and, one or two of them are doing the right thing. But even like uh, the mother-sister character who you think through the movie, oh, here's this, you know, this wise old woman. She's, she literally sits above all else and she can observe and she can make judgment. And, and you know, you're like, oh, OK, well, here, here's sort of the moral compass. This is the previous generation imparting wisdom on the young children, and, you know, uh, uh, scolding people who are doing wrong and, 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 and uh, that kind of thing. And yet at the end. She joins right in with the mob mentality. And I was mm -hmm. like, that for me was a real problem. I'm watching going like, why does this character have such a turn? I, again, I, I just – this is one of those times where I just I, – I couldn't understand this character's motivation in this scene to do – to take this action given these circumstances. It's just one of the messages of the film. And again, I, yeah. I think it's all open to interpretation, which makes it great. Speaking of messages, I know there's a scene when there, when Mookie is, is, is having a conversation and then you walk away and it says, Tawana told the truth. In graffiti on the brick wall. Yeah, I'd, I'd look that up. Yeah, Tawana Brawley. It was like about a year or two before the movie came out. Uh, there was a young woman who had accused um, a group of white men of rape. And a jury had ruled that she just made up the story. And so, again, one of the messages of the movie. Uh, again, other messages like about the influence of, 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 of black artists and things like that. And, and But I, I think one of the biggest messages in the movie is just it focuses on the differences between people. Like even Mookie, when he goes back uh, to, uh, to to his apartment with Rosie Perez, and he, he he's like, "I want my son to speak English." It's bad enough his name is Hector. Like it's all about differences, and and, and that um, the scene in the stockroom when Pino and Vito are fighting over whether or not Mookie can be trusted. Like mm -hmm. the differences between the brothers, and, and and again the light is swinging back and forth, very stylistic and stuff. And then the the song "Fight the Power" is like sort of omnipresent throughout the whole movie that's in the opening scene obviously and it's constantly being played by radio rahim uh it's just uh, there's so many messages in this movie it's kind of hard to cut through them all and and distinguish you know between them but uh two big scenes i just want to touch base on uh first there's the nude scene 
And it's just, the only reason I bring it up is because you don't see her head. But it's, that's really Rosie Perez's chest, right? But apparently um, she was just so uncomfortable doing the scene that she was crying. And that's why they only shot her from the neck down. Yeah, I, I had read that. Yeah, Again, just bizarre. things you don't know while you're watching the movie, no. but you start doing some homework and you're like, oh, and uh, yeah, I read a little bit about that. And again, sort of makes you uncomfortable to know that now that, oh, man, like, yeah, but uh, but again, there, from what I read, there was uh, um, the, she and Spike Lee sort of uh, came to terms with whatever the I mean, there were obviously some issues at the time. And, and from what I understand, they've they've patched things up years later, or at least. We're, we're more tolerable and, and uh, cordial with each other. So let's talk about the climax of the film, okay? Because there's that, that, that riot at the pizza place. Major scene of the movie. And when Radio Rahim is strangling Sal, remember he's got him down and he's strangling him? And, and, and you see the love hand visible while he's strangling. Again, so stylistic. And then after Radio Rahim is killed by the police, he's laying there dead in the street. And again, you see the love hand right beside his head. And, and that's what, I think that was the point when my wife had turned to me and she's like, nothing has changed since 1989. Like nothing, you know, and that was, that was powerful too. And then the thing is in that scene, again, just to reiterate the point about, you know, the us versus them thematic thing going on, just when you think the police are the one thing that these different races were going to rally around as being the true us versus them thing, the cops leave and the crowd, what do they do? They turn on the Koreans. You know, and the Korean shopkeeper's like, no, we're the same. You know, like, oh, this movie is so, oh, it's so good. It's so powerful. And then Smiley, remember, he goes in and he puts up the picture of MLK and Malcolm X yeah. on Sal's wall. And so th- that whole climactic scene you mentioned before about a lot of controversy, that scene got a lot of flack when the movie came out. Very controversial at the time of the film release. Um, and people thought, if, they, if you show this movie, it's going to start riots. And, yeah, that's what I was reading a lot about that. It's like, and a lot of people I think just didn't understand it. Like they can't figure out why, you know, why would Mookie break the glass of Sal's, you know, and and basically, you know, invite the crowd to to, to go in and loot the place. And I think that's the beauty of of this movie because it doesn't try and answer any questions, but it forces you as the viewer to try and make those decisions for yourself. Like it, it really forces you when you watch this movie to look inward and just try and figure things out. It forces you to have an opinion, and I think it forces you to use critical thinking to try and just make some sense out of all these racial tensions in this movie and in the country in general, and just try to understand it. And I know, like, a lot of people just felt that whole riot scene was senseless, and and it was, like, bad for Mookie to do that. But, you know, like, you, I don't know. I mean, you know, I've heard some people have argued that, you know, it was, Mookie was, was doing the right thing. Because what he was doing was redirecting the crowd. Because I think at that point, the crowd was probably going to kill Sal and his sons. And by him throwing the the the, the garbage can through the window, maybe it redirected their anger toward the the you know the, the the building, and then they just looted it. I don't know, but I I think I think a lot of it was like Radio Raheem was just killed by the cops. Mookie was mad, you know. And that was his reaction to it. And, and like, what you know, like critics of the movie, you're going to tell me like property is more important than someone's life. Like, again, it just makes you think it just, I don't know, man, the movie is supposed to make you question things and try to make sense out of the senseless. That's what I think. I think that's why I like it so much, you know? And then the next day it starts the exact same way. Mookie has to get woken up. You know, it's hot. It's like the same thing all over again. 
And I thought the scene, I don't know how, what, you, what you thought of it, but the scene at the, at the very end in front of Sal's the next morning, when Sal and Mookie have to make peace. Yeah. A, amazing scene. Like, and that is really, really difficult for an actor to play and to nail all the nuances of the character and all the nuances of that scene. But Danny Aiello just nails it because like, he's angry and he's resentful and he's heartbroken. But finally, he asks Mookie if he's going to be all right. Like, that's a, that's an amazing scene for an actor to pull off effectively. Like, oh, just an incredible, incredible movie. And then, obviously, the film ends with the MLK quote, condemning violence is immoral. And then right after it, Malcolm X quote that states violence is not only okay for self-defense, but it's a sign of intelligence. Like, it's just powerful stuff. Oh, I just, I thought this movie's great. And it's just funny because I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about it somewhat. You know, it's been 30 years. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And it's not one of those movies like like a lot of the Gen X movies, like the Goonies and stuff. You just want to go back and watch over and over and over again. This movie is difficult to watch. It's not easy to watch. And it's not necessarily a lot of fun to watch. But I think it's important to watch. And that's why I wanted you to watch it. And 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 I have. I thank you for nominating it. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's what the podcast yeah, is all I, about. I think, I think this this is one of those cases where a lot of this movie is lost on me. I'm I'm I don't know. Like I said, it's I I'm, I know for certain there's a lot of listeners that are going to be listening to this and thinking, man, that guy is a he is not in touch. He has no idea. He lives a sheltered and privileged life. Screw you. You're unrelatable. And hey. I mean, I can't apologize for that. That's that is what it is. Uh, I don't think I lived a sheltered life, but uh, you know, I, I I just had a, a I have had and continue to have just a difficult time understanding why a lot of the characters in this movie did what they did um, when there were other options available. And I think that's the argument, right? People will say no, they, they there were no options. This was the only option. This is the way to make the point and make the statement. And maybe it is. Maybe it was at the time. Maybe it still is today. I just, it's never been, uh, I have never been in a situation that I can relate to that's like that, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, depending on your mm. point of view. Um, and, yeah. And like I say, so then you, you're forced to try to make sense out of it all. Yeah. And that's part of the challenge of the film for me anyway. So it was what it is. Uh, would you give it a rating out of 10 at least for me? I think it would really depend on, on what criteria we're using. Like from a, uh, a film to class of to, to score it as a film, as an artistic film, as an important work, I would certainly give it a high grade, like an eight or a nine out of 10, the, the, the way it's written, directed, uh, the style, the performances, the music, uh, so much of this is, is done in, in such a good way. And the movie, uh, has such cultural significance. You have to acknowledge that. And yeah, definitely high marks for, for that. But from a just a straight up, like you said, it's hard to watch from an entertainment point of view. I, I don't know if I would recommend someone watch this unless this is a topic there. Like, hey, you want to see a movie about race relations in the U.S. in the 1990 in the 1980s and 1990s? Like, you need to see this. This is an important work for that reason. Uh, and and to the point your wife made, watch it and determine, do you think things have changed? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Like, that's always to me. Like, what's the call to action? Is this just a movie that's a straight up piece of entertainment? Watch it. Turn your brain off. Explosions. Yay. Guy gets the girl. Movie's over. Roll credits. Okay. I was entertained. No homework. No takeaway other than I had fun. Like this is a movie that clearly is making a statement, is making a powerful statement and wants you to, to exactly you said, wants you to talk about it, think about it, act on it and, and do what you need to do 
to make things better. And so to me, that's that's the takeaway from this, right? It's if, if this is a problem in the world, and it certainly is, fix it. Do your part. So I don't remember what your original question was. Sorry, I started rambling. Uh, I just <laughs> wanted to give you a rating out of, uh, oh. out of 10. Uh, yes. For artistic, I'm definitely giving it uh, like an eight or a nine, but from straight up entertainment, no, I'd say like a six. Yeah. Again, I, I just thought it was boring. I understand. I think my th- my take on it is this, is that a lot of Gen X movies don't hold up. They just don't. You know, we, we've, talk- <laughs> we've talked about that at, you know, at length on this podcast, but this one does. And I think this movie is as relevant in 2019 as it was 30 years ago, and maybe even more so in the current political environment. I think it's an important movie. I think it's an important film for people to watch and to try and question and just think about. So for me, nine out of 10. I love, I think this movie is fantastic. I really, and, I, and I'm glad because I hadn't seen it in probably 25 years. And uh, going back and watching it again, I just, I was, I was actually struck by how much, how well it held up and how important it, it was even today. And maybe even more important today than it was 30 years ago, if that's possible. But I think it is. But on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, my friend, I nominated the film, so it's it's over to you. So uh, what, 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 how are we going to have some fun this week? Okay, so uh, clearly given the uh, heavy topic of the film, uh, I had to take a slight tangent in order to come up with some fun trivia. You want to lighten it up a little bit, did you? A little bit. Ah, that's I good. Want, I want to I sort of take a tangential step here to uh, to do the trivia. So uh, – I, I don't think we, we would have any argument about the statement that would say do the right thing was one of the most the most important films of 1989. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I would think so, too. And uh, from your point of view, certainly and from the point of view of many people, they would also argue it, it was one of the best films of 1989. It mm-hmm. didn't get nominated for an Oscar uh, for no, best film, but a lot of people think it should have. But anyway, 1989. Do the right thing. Yeah. Definitely at the top of a lot of lists for a lot of the right reasons. Yeah. But there were a lot of other movies that came out in 1989. <laughs> there was, yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of big movie stars had some big hits, and a lot of big movie stars had some not-so-big hits. <laughs> okay. So, I have a list of 20 actors. And you know what? Now that I'm looking at the list, I think they're all dudes. Uh, no. Yes. 20, 20 well, it was 1989 per- after all. It was 1989. So. Yeah, you know. 20 male performers. Okay. All pretty big names. Right. All pretty well known. I'm going to give you the actor's name. You tell me what movie they were in in 1989. And for the, I'm going to get right down the list, and then we're going to switch it up about halfway through. So, are you ready? All yeah. of these, I'm going to give you the actor's name. You can tell me what movie were they in in 1989. What if they did more than one film? Like Gene Hackman, you know, for a while there was in like 10 films a year. But it just Well, was- okay, so that's what I'm going to do. So we get about halfway through the list. Okay. And then I'm going to give you a cue. And then from that point on, there are two correct answers for oh, every okay. actor. Okay, I got you. Okay, all right. So at the beginning, I'm looking for one. All right. Right? Yep. In no particular order. You ready go to for go? It. Yeah, 1989. All right, All right let's 1989. give this a try. Oh, I'm don't overthink thir- If you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yep, it's 30 years right. ago. I'll do my best. Okay. Al Pacino. Uh, Al Pacino was... I don't think Scent of a Woman came out that year, but I'll say Scent of a Woman. Nope. Sea mm. of Love. Oh, jeez. Oh, that one with Ellen Barkin. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Billy Crystal. 
Uh, what did Billy Crystal do in 1989? Uh, was it Her- When Harry Met Sally? Yes. yes Yay! All right. All right. All right. Here's, here's an easy one. All right. Charlie Sheen. Oh, it wasn't Platoon. That was 87. So what did Charlie Sheen do? Oh, was it Major League? It was Major League. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yes. All right. I'm All loving right. It. Loving it. Ed Harris. Ed Harris, 1989. Oh, geez, that's tough. He's, I mean, he's a, was he in the abyss? Yes. Yes. The answer. Good job. All right. How about James Spader in 1989? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. James Spader, because he was always kind of a more of a supporting guy. Sex Lies and Videotape? Yep. Yes. It was 89. Yes. Okay. All right. This one's, I think this one might be a little tougher. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges in 1989. Oh, my goodness. I don't think I can think of a movie that Jeff Bridges was in. I don't know. The Fabulous Baker Boys. Oh, wow. That was 89. Yeah, I didn't think it was that I feel like that was the 90s or something. Oh, yeah. All right. right. Here's an easy one. John Cusack, 1989. Um, What did John Cusack have in 1989? That's a tough one. He had a boombox. Say Anything came out in that year? Say Anything. Oh, yes. I I feel like uh, Say Anything came out before 89. Okay, that's good. All right. I'll take it. Thanks for the clue. Next next on the list, Mm -hmm. Kevin Costner. Um, Big hit for him in 1989. Uh, Definitely wasn't Waterworld. That was like, oh, was it Field of Dreams? It was Field of Dreams. Yes. Yes. All right. This one might be a little bit of a trick question. Mm. Patrick Swayze. Um, Roadhouse, was that 89? It was Roadhouse. <laughs> I thought you might have said Dirty Dancing. I was like, no, that's wrong. No, I think that All was right. that was before. That was like 87, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Robin Williams. Oh, jeepers. Was, did he do more than one movie that year or no? Uh, I only have him in this one. Uh, Dead Poets Society, I think. was. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Oh, you're doing pretty good. You've only missed two so it's far. It's the 80s. I mean, I really locked well, in. Well, I knew you knew. I knew you yeah. know the 80s, and I know mm-hmm. you love. Uh, yeah. So, okay, Steve Martin. Uh, what did, was Parenthood out that year? Wasn't L.A. Story? It's either Don't L.A. Story or Parent. I'm going to go with Parenthood. Yeah, that's oh right. yes, I, was, I thought it was that or L.A. Story. So, okay, good one. Right. I think this one's an easy one. Timothy Dalton. Um, living I need daylights? the movie's full name. The the Living Daylights. Nope. No. Oh no. It was James Bond though. It was License to Kill. Oh, License to Kill was that year. Oh, yeah. I thought you were gonna say James Bond. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, we, yeah. And we came up with uh, we just did James Bond a couple of All shows right. ago. All right. I've st- I stumped on this one a few weeks ago. Tom Cruise in 1989, nominated for an Oscar. I would say it wasn't Top Gun, so I would say probably Born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> All right. So now we're moving on to uh, to the to the more difficult section. Okay. There are a few more names here. Each of these actors starred in two different movies in 1989. Okay. I will accept one, but if you can get two, bonus marks. All right. First one on the list: Canadian actor Michael J. Fox. 89 with Michael J. Fox. I want to say Casualties of War came out that year. Get okay. Um, yep. What the hell else did he do? On the second one, probably his most famous movie role. Um, Back to the Future came out in '89. Uh, no, it had to be one of the sequels because that came out in '85. Um, part three. 
part Back two. To, oh, yeah. oh, so close. All right. Okay, this one I'll be uh, I'll be embarrassed <laughs> for you tough. if you don't These get this. Tough. I love this. Yeah. In 1989, yep. Chevy Chase starred in two movies. What were they? Oh my God, was he still making movies in 89? Both oh. of them sequels. I would say it's got to be one of the one of the vacation movies. But thing is, I liked Vacation, and I, and then even European Vacation was okay, and I I didn't like the other ones after that. So I will say it was uh, the Christmas one, Christmas yep. Vacation. Oh, that's one. Okay, okay. And the other sequel he was in that year. Um, did he do Funny Farm too? No, he did not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he did Fletch Lives. Oh, Fletch Lives. Oh, wow. I like yeah, the I original. Thought, I like the original Fletch. It was cool. I thought thought you might have got that one. Okay. This one's a little tougher. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. He was the star of one and the supporting actor in another. I want to say that, uh, that I think they did their last movie together, him and Gene Wilder. They did See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Yes. That, that's oh, one. is that one? Okay. Yeah, the one's a little more difficult. I'd be, I'd be surprised if you get it. I'm trying to think. That's really it. I think of him in that kind of rounding out his career so i don't think i would know what the other one is what is it harlem nights oh he had a small part in harlem nights and that was 89 i see i think of that as like 90 91 too okay okay all right morgan freeman uh morgan freeman was he in glory that year nope Mm. he was in glory wasn't he was glory 89 yeah, I, I, or I was around. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe then. we're he, gonna give him three. He was in, he was in Glory. I don't know if it came out in '89. I want to say it came out right around that time. I got there's two others I'm looking for. One of which he was nominated for an Oscar. Well, Driving Miss Daisy. Yep, that's one. Obviously, um, what the hell else did he do that year? Played a high school principal. Stand by me. No, not Stand by me. What was it? Close. Name? Uh, Lean on me. Lean on me. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Uh, just a couple more to go. Uh, 1989, Tom yep. Hanks had two movies. What were they? Uh, Tom Hanks well, came out in 89 for him. Um, end of the 80s. He wasn't into... They had to be kind of crappier movies. Yep. Because he wasn't... He, he he didn't come out with Philadelphia yet. Nope. So I, I'm going to go with... It was Pat... Big was before this. So he was off the success of Big, but he kind of bombed out. Was like... Oh, the one with the dog. Was it called... Yep. Uh, Turner and Hooch? <laughs> And do you and, know the other one? Any idea? Uh, I'll say, I, I I'll say the Money Pit. It. The Money Pit. No, I think it, was, it was The Burbs. Oh, The Burbs. Oh, that movie's awful. Oh, I know. I never saw it. All right. I got two easy ones for you right here at the end. All right. Michael Keaton. What are what was he in? Well, Batman came out in 89. Batman for sure. And um, the, the other one was a comedy. He was a mental patient. Oh, was that? Um, oh, that's where it, with him and um, was it him and Bill Murray where they... No, they robbed the bank. No, no, I I don't know. I'm blanking on. Called oh, the the Dream Team. Oh, the Dream Team. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, right, that movie was really good. I remember. Yeah, it had a pretty big cast too. Yeah. All right, last one. The late great Canadian actor John Candy. Oh, John Candy. 1989. 1989. One really great movie. One really crap movie. Um, one came out in January. One came out in December. So they're almost a full year apart. Was Uncle Buck? Arguably was Uncle Buck that, fi- Uncle Buck yeah, was that year? Yeah, his biggest movie. <laughs> Uncle Buck, yes. What the hell else did he do? I can't. Yeah, this is a tough one. I don't know if you're going to get the second one. Can I get a hint? Uh, I've never seen it, so I, I can't give you a hint because I don't know anything about the movie other than the title. I think he played a private detective. No, 
I'm I don't know. Who's Harry Crumb? Oh God, that movie was terrible. I remember. I think I watched about ten minutes of it and I turned it oh, off. Geez. It was so bad. It was so you, more or less, you did really good. Not you, bad uh, considering. One, like, two. but I, I'm the so there was guy. two that you, the two of the singles you had no you didn't get, and then of the double features you've got you got one of from everybody on the list you got one, and then one two three four five of the seven you you couldn't name the second one. Right. So that, not yeah, bad though. Not yeah. bad. And the thing is, it's trying to distinguish. Like, did they come out? I knew they came around that time. And the problem is, as it transitions into the '90s, I automatically classify certain films as '90s films, and some of them are still '89. So, Driving Miss Daisy yeah. was hanging me up there because I, I kept thinking it was 1990. But got it. So it's all good. There you go. All right, that was wasn't too bad. Um, well, I tell you what. So we're gonna we we did my movie this week. Good job. Yes. On, good job on the trivia. That, that must have taken a lot of work. Thanks a lot. Um, So we're going to come back next episode with another movie review. So Derek, it's your turn to nominate a film. So what movie would you like me to watch and then review with you on our next podcast? Well, I've I've been struggling because I got a few that I I had on my list, but I think I think I finally nailed it down to the one I want you to watch. It it also stars Danny Aiello after Do the Right Thing. Okay. A few years later. It also stars... Oscar winner Gary Oldman, Oscar winner Natalie Portman. Any guesses? Uh, Natalie Portman and... Gary Oldman. And Gary Oldman. And it came out after Do the Right, so it was in the 90s? 94. I don't know. I think I stopped watching pop culture by that point. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I knew I could recommend this movie and you had never seen it. Uh, yeah. The movie is called The Professional or Leon The Professional, depending on which version you watch. It's from 1994. Uh, it uh, stars, as we mentioned, Gary Oldman, Natalie Portman, Danny Aiello. And the main star who plays Leon, the title character, is uh, Jean Reno, uh, French actor. And uh, Jean Reno we is talked a about professional this movie. assassin. We talked yeah. about this movie on a previous podcast. I was like, oh, I remember the the, the look of the the movie poster kind of thing. And yeah. he's wearing like glasses and like a toque yeah, or something like, like that. Or, yep. So, uh, what the hell is it? I mean, I've never, never really didn't yeah, know. So he's, uh, again, that's the guy from Godzilla, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so, uh, I won't ruin it for you, but basically the synopsis is, uh, Leon is a uh, professional hitman in New York. And, uh, due to, uh, circumstances that happened pretty early in the movie, he, uh, helps a 12 year old girl get revenge on, uh, people that killed her family. And uh, the twelve-year-old girl is Natalie Portman in her feature film debut. This kind of uh, harkens back to when Yancey used to nominate weird movies that I'd never heard. It's of not before. a post-apocalyptic future. That's good. Yeah, because I know you don't like those, but if you ever want one of those, The Road is pretty good. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of those that I'm happy to line up for you. But no, no, I'm good. For next time, I'm good. Please watch The Professional. Leon, if you can the find professional. the director's cut, great. If you can't, the the regular version's pretty good too. Uh, it's from 1994, and uh, we'll come back next time and talk all about it. Well, I shall do my best to try and find the director's cut of, of a movie I've never heard of in my entire life. Um, but I, I, I'll watch it. We'll come back, and, and we'll, we'll we'll pick it all apart. I'm a movie buff, so if it's good, you know, I'll be here for you. Um, so, yeah, one last thing before we go. Of course. At the top of the show, I had said I read the new book by Jeffrey Archer. It was yes. called Nothing Ventured. Nothing so Ventured. Like, nothing Ventured, Nothing Gained. It's called Nothing Ventured. It's about a private detective. Or about a, a a detective who joins Scotland Yard. It was quite good. So anyone who's looking for something good to read, uh, right. I recommend that one. Very cool. All right. Well, if you'd like to reach out to Derek, you'll find him again on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me at C McBrien or popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all our contact information. This is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Mm.
Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Thank you.